Someone once described the Bible as a story of people waking up. Uh, and I th- when you think about it in many ways, that's not a bad take on the Bible. Uh, time and again, when we see people coming face to face with God, there is this kind of eureka moment, uh, this moment where they, things make sense. They, they wake up. Maybe, maybe you can relate to that in your own life. That sense when suddenly faith made sense, or suddenly you, you, you just got it. You just saw, you saw Jesus. Uh, and this story, in a, in a sense, is a, is a wake or a beginning. Maybe the story is the alarm going off. Uh, this, is, this is the beginning of a waking up process. Uh, but, but at a deeper level, it's, it's a story about something else. It's a, it's a story about God gathering together a family. It's about church, if you like, about who belongs. Uh, so uh, that's the story of Acts as a whole, really. So in the last three chapters, we've had, uh, remember last week, uh, Charlie talking about Simeon, the Ethiopian eunuch. And if you missed last Sunday's sermon, do yourself a favor and, and catch up with it on the, on the website, uh, on the podcast. I found it really moving. Really, really challenging. So, so that, was, that was last week. And we, we skipped uh, a bit of the passage. But, but in Acts 9, you have Paul. Do you remember Paul? Uh, Paul was in the church destruction business. We get church planters, church builders. Paul was in the church destruction uh, business. He wanted to wipe the Christian faith off the face of the earth until he had that strange encounter with Jesus. That, for him, that waking up moment uh, which brought him to his knees and to faith in Jesus. And then in this morning's reading, we have Cornelius, the Roman centurion, commander of a hundred Roman soldiers, a capable and a trusted religious man, uh, sorry, military man, part of the Roman occupation of Palestine. You might call him the enemy, in a sense. Make sure the Jews behave themselves whilst at the same time contributing to the Roman coffers. And yet at the same time, we're told he's a seeker after God, a man of prayer, a man with a great respect for the Jewish people and Jewish traditions. People are complex, aren't they? We're all complex. People are complex. So Cornelius... Simon and Paul, you couldn't really imagine a more mixed bag. And yet these are the people that God is drawing together. So today it's Cornelius, although actually I think this passage is more about Peter than about Cornelius. It's more about the fact that Peter needs to wake up. And the church, as it's beginning to come into being, needs to wake up to what God is doing. Because sadly, their, their tradition, their way of doing things, their way of reading scripture even, means they're asleep. And they're missing out on what God is doing. And so you'll remember the story. Cornelius has this vision. A wake-up call. And in the vision, he's approached by an angel who calls him by name, Cornelius. Cornelius might be an outsider, but God knows him by name. 
and God has heard his prayer. Here this morning, you might feel that nobody notices you, that nobody sees you, that you don't matter. But God notices you. God sees you. You do matter. Cornelius matters. Simeon matters. Paul matters. You matter. I matter. And 30 miles up the road from Cornelius having this vision, Paul is having his own vision of sorts, his own wake-up call. One minute he's praying and then he realizes he's hungry and suddenly he has this vision of this enormous sheet full of all kinds of animals, clean and unclean animals, appealing animals, repulsive animals, all rubbing up against each other. The clean contaminating the unclean and who knows what was going on on this sheet. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Just a warning for my vegetarian friends. There's going to be quite a lot of meat talk in the next few minutes. But don't worry, I'll try not to make a meal of it. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. In the, in the Torah, uh, the, the Jewish law, there is a whole range of meat that is forbidden to eat. Uh, and if you go into Leviticus 11, it, it lists many of them. This is, this is a bit of a taster. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you may eat, and I'm going to test you. There will be a test later. You may eat any animal that has completely split hooves and chews the cud. You may not eat, however, you may not, however, eat the following animals that have split hooves or that chew the cud, but not both. The camel chews the cud, but does not have split hooves, so it's ceremonially unclean for you. The hare chews the cud, but does not have split hooves, so it is unclean. The pigs have evenly split hooves, but not, do not chew the cud, so it is unclean. You, might, you may not eat the meat of these animals or even touch their carcasses. They are ceremonially unclean for you. And it goes on. Sea creatures with fins and scales are okay, but other sea creatures are not. Anyone like crab? Uh, locusts, crickets, and grasshoppers are okay. I bet we're all pleased about that. But not insects with jointed legs. And it continues, gets towards the end. All small animals that scurry along the ground are detestable. And you must never eat them. Amen to that. <laughs> so so this, this sheet contains all of those animals. And God says to Peter, get up, kill, and eat. In other words, Peter, I want you to disobey the law. I want you to disobey Leviticus 11. I wonder how you'd react in that situation. Uh, I guess Peter kind of did a double take. Did I just hear what you said, Lord? 
Really? Uh, and then he kicks back. Surely Lord, not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. You know Peter. Peter's had all these ups and downs with, with Jesus. Gets it right, gets it wrong, whatever. But in all that time, Peter says, I've never eaten the wrong thing. I wouldn't even think about it. Because Peter's identity, in a sense, the survival of his tribe is all tied up in being faithful to such regulations. And so he argues with God. Uh, there's a long Jewish tradition of arguing with God when you think that God has overstepped the mark. It's really, yeah. Uh, for the Jews, it's actually a sign of a healthy spirituality that you can have it out with God. And even sometimes get God to change his mind. There are times in Scripture where God seems to, or God does change his mind because one of his people says, Look, Lord, that is not fair. Look, Lord, that is not right. Look, Lord, have mercy. And God changes his plans. But at this point, God is not for turning. Do not call anything impure, he says, that God has made unclean. That has made clean, sorry. And three times this scenario is repeated. Remember how Peter denied Jesus three times? Remember how three times Jesus, after his resurrection, said to Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And here again, three times, God tells Peter to eat. And three times Peter refuses. And eventually the sheet with its collection of potential roast dinners returns from whence it came. And did Peter eat? There's no evidence that he did. But as the story continues, and we're going to pick up on this story again next week, and I think the week after as well, the, the, the aftermath of that, uh, you see Peter beginning to wake up. And you see Peter recognizing that the vision is not really about animals. It's not really about food. But it's about people and about the church and about the new thing that God is doing. And I guess as part of that, it's a story for us that invites us to reflect about Scripture. And how we, how we make sense of this passage and how we make sense of, of Leviticus 11. Uh, let's do a little experiment. Uh, is it okay? Leviticus 11, quite clearly, do not eat pork. Is that okay? Is it okay to, to eat pork apart from the ketchup is, apart from the fact that it's ketchup not brown sauce? It's all wrong. It should be brown sauce. But anyone with me on that one? Hey, thank you, Rob. <laughs> A few people, yes. Uh, is that okay? Is it okay? More than okay, thank you. As I say, sorry to our vegetarian friends. It's kind of ironic, isn't it, that this was the week we got Helen to read. <laughs> I thought about that when you were reading. Uh, is it, if I was a practicing Jewish person, 
Would that be okay? No. Not that that's any of my business, but... So different standards for different people? Just a question. Uh, I'm very fond of pork. Sausages rather than bacon, mainly for me, but if I were to convert to Judaism, I would stop eating pork. It would not be appropriate. Because pork for the Jewish people is an, is an issue of belonging. About being part of a people. And what you do when you're part of that people. And one of the things that we forget so often when we come to, to the Old Testament, particularly to the law, to the Torah, that was what it was known as, is that the Torah was given to Israel to help Israel be Israel, to help Israel to be God's people. It's kind of a constitution for Israel, a kind of national charter. This is who we are, and this is the kind of things that we do, and this is the kind of things that we don't do. It was not God's national charter to Egypt, or to Assyria, or to Babylon, or even necessarily to the church. We can't simply put the word church in where it says Israel. It was for this particular people at this particular time in their journey. In that story in which God had rescued them from Egypt. God, God was wanting to establish them as a nation with a clear identity of who they were and how they related to the world around them. A nation whose whole purpose was that everyone, the world could look at them and say that this is what God is like. And so, so Leviticus 11 kind of acts as a kind of boundary marker. It sets out who are insiders and who are outsiders. They set Israel apart from all the bacon butty eating nations around them. And so every time a Jewish family sat down to eat together, they were reminded of who they were. And they were reminded of their vocation. Their very food, their very diet reminded them that God's call affected every part of their life and every part of their life together. I guess maybe for us that's how communion functions. It reminds us of our identity as those who God has saved, those of us who God is calling into relationship. Reminds us of our, our identity, amongst other things. So the question of whether it's right or wrong to eat pork is really the wrong question. For a Jew, it was simply inconceivable because it would be to disown your identity. That's why Peter reacted the way he did. It was simply unthinkable that he would eat pork. We'll come back to boundary markers in a moment, but I guess let's just, maybe it's a helpful reminder that, that Scripture, this, this book, this source of life in many ways for us is not just an arbitrary set of rules and regulations or abstract religious truth. It is always grounded 
It is rooted in a particular story of God with a particular group of people. It is an account of that journey, of God's journey with humanity, with Israel, with the church. Tom Wright gives an interesting example, which I, which I found helpful. He imagines us to, to imagine a mother seeing her child on the other side of a busy street, and the child is about to cross. And the mum shouts, stop, stay there. And then a couple of minutes later, the traffic has stopped at a light. And she shouts again, walk across. You can cross now, it is safe. It's not that she's contradicted herself. Her initial commandment was right at the time. The children needed to stop for their own sake. But the end goal was always that the children would cross the road safely. But if they'd gone too early, they wouldn't make it across. And the issue that Peter and the early church need to come to terms with is that the light has changed. Jesus has fulfilled the law. And now he's doing this new thing. He's building a new family for himself. Bringing together faithful Jewish firebrands and Ethiopian eunuchs and Roman centurions into a new reality called church. And the question is, how are they going to live together? How are they going to share fellowship together? How are they going to share communion together even? You see, this was never really about food. It's always about people, about who is in and who is out. For some, the answer was straightforward. The way into Christianity was via Judaism. So someone outside the Jewish community would need to be circumcised to stop eating pork and to observe the Torah. Simple as that. But then someone like Paul, after he was converted, would, would chip in. Well, hasn't Christ fulfilled the law? And don't we have baptism as a kind of ritual of belonging? And isn't it the blood of Christ that makes us clean, not the food that we eat? That enables us to belong, not our diet? We all love a clear boundary, don't we? It's much easier to set up clear criteria of who is in and who is out. The church has spent 2,000 years doing this. For some, a statement of faith is an answer. We'll title down, this is what we believe. Believing the right things. The church is comprised of those who do that, who believe the right things. Who read scripture in a particular way, maybe. For others, it's behavior, ethical behavior, or some kind of other behavior the church doesn't uh, approve on. Some of you would have grown up in an era where it was no smoking, no drinking, no dancing. When you've seen me dance, there's probably some advice, some good advice in that one. For others, it's Christmas practice. We pray in a certain way, or we worship in a certain way, or we dress in a certain way even. Identity is important. And boundaries can reinforce identity. But they can also function like this as a keep out sign. 
We are the pure ones. We are the clean ones. We are the true believers. And the others out there are unclean in some way. And we need to be careful of them because they will contaminate us. What if it's the direction of travel that's important? Not where you've got to yet. What if the vital thing is where you're headed rather than where you are now? What if these are the crucial questions? Am I learning to trust Jesus? Am I drawing closer to him? To pick up on our summer series, are the fruits of the Spirit ripening in me? What if the focus is on journeying together, trying trying to work out exactly who is in and who is out? What if Peter needs Cornelius as much as Cornelius needs Peter? Remember, Cornelius wasn't a Christian at this point. He hadn't met Jesus. He needs Peter to journey with him. And I suspect Peter needs Cornelius to journey with him as well. It's much more messy this way. It's much easier to to set down rules on what people can and can't eat or whatever. It's a lot less neat and tidy. It raises as many questions and issues as it answers. But I've become increasingly convinced that that's the way forward in this time, in this place, in this culture. What instead of keep, keep out, the motto is welcome. Come and join us on the journey. One of the things I find fascinating about this church is that we have church members meetings next week after the service. We have church membership where we take our responsibility for our life together, where we commit to do that together, where we take responsibility together for mission, for ministry, for evangelism, for worship, for money, for the building, and so on. And that is all very important. We need to hold on to that lightly. I wonder if you know whether the person sitting next to you or not is a member. Maybe so. If you're sitting with somebody you love, you you know that. But I don't look at people and think, is that person a member or isn't that person a member? I hope it doesn't has no effect on how I treat somebody. Because you're all part of the family here. It's not an in-group and an out-group. You're all part of the family. I love it when folks commit to membership, to sharing that common responsibility. I love it when folks get baptized who are committing themselves to journey with Jesus. But at the end of the day, I just want to share, I just want to share this journey with others, with you all. I need you. And you need each other. And if you are different to me, I probably need you especially. And if you disagree with me, then I need to hear that as well. I need my phone to shut up. (laughs) I need you if you've been on this journey your whole life. I need to learn from your wisdom. 
And I need you if you're not quite sure that this is a journey you're ready for. If you're still trying to make sense of it, if you're still struggling, if you're still trying to decide whether this journey is for you or not, I need you. I need to hear your journey. I need to learn from you because I will grow and hopefully you will grow. So let us continue to journey together. And I hope for all of you, this is a place of belonging. A place where you are encouraged in your faith. A place where you can encourage others. I hope and pray that in our journey together we meet Jesus. And we get to know him better. And we fall in love afresh with him. And I hope and pray that in our journey together we experience something of the reign of God together in our lives. And I hope that in that life together we show the world something of who Jesus really is. Are you with me in that? Amen. 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 Sorry, I'm, I'm late finishing. Bless you all. I think we're going to, I don't know what we're going to sing now. We're going to sing something. I'll pray. Yeah. Father God, thank you. I thank you for each person in this room, wherever they are on their journey with you. Lord, those who've been following you faithfully for decades, those of you, those who were following you faithfully before I was born. Lord, thank you for those who are new to faith, who are still trying to make sense of it. And Lord, thank you for those who have not yet decided whether, whether this is a journey they want to be on, who are still making their mind up about faith, about Jesus. Lord, I pray that we might know that you see each one of us. You know each one of us by name. And you call us and you invite us to get to know you better. Lord, would you bless us as we journey together? Lord, sometimes it's not easy when we disagree. Sometimes it's not easy when we're different. But Lord, in those disagreements, in those differences, Lord, may there be growth. And may Jesus Christ be glorified. Amen.